It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? I made it clear that my intention was to play, and my intention was to play for the New York Jets. Rodgers going for it all, looking to bring it open. He's got it! Lazard! Gonna go! Touchdown! Rodgers snaps it quick, scrambles to his right, pumps and runs, and Rodgers is inside the pylon! Allen has time. Intercepted! Sauce Gardner's got it, breaking away, Garrett Wilson, Wilson a big play downfield, Allen tripped up, he could not get past Jermaine Johnson, oh look at the speed of Brees Hall, he's done it again, Brees Lightning, 62 yards for the touchdown, and he's sacked again by Quinton Williams, what a beast, number 95 for the Jets, listen, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And it's time for part two of the weekend mailbag. So for that, we bring in our friend who is the editor over at Jet Nation, Mr. Glenn Naughton. Glenn, welcome back. Thank you so much for having me. Always a great time. Next question comes in from JP Waxer. He asks, I'm very concerned about middle linebacker in the event that CJ Mosley gets hurt. Who is left? <laughs> We've talked about this. It's not a very deep linebacker group. I think Robert Sala and Jeff Ulbrich are hoping to develop some of these guys. They seem to have high hopes for Jamie and Sherwood. And then there are other players that they've gotten over the last couple of years that they want to try and turn into something. Remember when Jeff Ulbrich was in Atlanta, he took Foye Luakon from a sixth-round pick out of Yale to one of the best inside linebackers in the NFL, somebody who got paid a fortune with the Jacksonville Jaguars last offseason. When Robert Sala was in San Francisco, look at what he did with Fred Warner, who's one of the best linebackers in the league as well. I'm not saying the Jets are going to be able to do that with one of their late-round picks or one of these guys they bring in off the scrap heap, but I think their intention is to sort of manufacture that with somebody who plays the inside linebacker spot. Clearly, they understand that they're not going to be able to make big splashes at every position, and they think that they can do something with their coaching and development at that spot that can overcome the lack of resources they've poured into it beyond just C.J. Mosley. Yeah, that was a. I had a similar thought when they when we looked at you know as the the undrafted free agents were being brought in. They brought in three undrafted free agent linebackers um, along with drafting Zaire Barnes. Um, in Claude and Charles, Malik Hall, and Caleb Johnson. Um, you know, unfortunately, like, you know, Claude and Charles went to Alcorn State, Malik Hall, Southeastern Oklahoma State. It's like needle in a haystack trying to find film on these guys. Um, I did find one game of Claude and Charles, a full game, every single snap. And, you know, he, he was a monster in that game. I had like 14 or 15 tackles. He was all over the place, but it's tough to say based off of one game. Um, I will say one guy who I really liked, he was a, a a converted player in college, um, Chaz Surratt, who they picked up last year. Um, he's, you know, he's still on the roster. I think he, he, uh, or his, his brother did play uh wide receiver in college, his brother Sage. Um, but Chaz Surratt's a guy who played quarter. He started his college career as a quarterback, made the transition, a linebacker and had over a hundred tackles, you know, a couple years later. So he looked like a natural who was really taking to the position. Um, so when I look at like sleepers who might surprise and 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 make make a play or make make a roster, I wonder about Surratt. But I agree on Sherwood too. I you know I brought it up months ago on our show and said that I think he's a guy who who this this team is is really high on because they've done very little to replace him. He was legitimately the backup to Mosley last year, and um, 
And he's a guy who everyone knew was going to take a little time because he's another guy who transitioned, you know, from safety. Hamza Nasruddin, I think his days are numbered. But I think between the guys they brought in um, and drafting Jamie and Sherwood, I think they're hoping one of these guys pans out. Um, again, and again, you know, as as people tend to note quite often nowadays, and rightfully so, Scott, you just it's so rare you see three linebacker looks. Like teams are in nickel and dime so often. It's not like the old days where you need your three starters and a couple of quality backups. You don't need four or five good linebackers nowadays. You can get by with a little less than that. And I think the Jets are hoping one of these guys develops. Um, and and Sherwood, you know, like I said, we I think we agree they like him. So I think they're hoping that between the starters, Sherwood, and some of these backups, that uh, somebody will will kind of develop and become a contributor. Next question comes in from Raw Power. He asks, "Mega mailbag, make England great again on July fourth? Come on, Scott, that's not very patriotic." <laughs> <laughs> so I put out a request on Twitter for questions for a mega mailbag. That's what I call it when we have these huge mailbags on these holiday weekends because it's more than just the standard two-part weekend mailbag. And so, of course, he took M-E-G-A, mega, and made it make England great again. And, of course, he's right. It's make England great again because I knew I was going to have Glenn on here. Glenn, you're in England. You have to make England great on July 4th. And you already talked about earlier how you're taking the kids and you're trying to bring the spirit of July 4th to England. So that is what it is. It's make England great again. Glenn, thank you for doing that. <laughs> uh, listen, and England is great. You know, um, the, the from the day I got here, from the day I moved to England, or I should say from the day I got stationed in England, um, day one, I was I, I lived in a small village. I was one of two Americans in the whole village, and the other one was an American civilian. I was the only military person living in the in the village, and uh, I would walk down to my local pub, and like the first day I walked in there, I'd never met a single person in there, and I walk in, and people are like, you know, hey, here's a drink. Like they're buying me drinks and socializing, and and some of the bonds and friendships I made, you know, on that first that those first few days are people I'm still fantastic friends with today. And uh, it's it's a great spot out here, man. If not for the weather, that's probably the biggest drawback. Um, I, I, I do love it out here. And, and as I said earlier, thousands of Brits used to love coming on the base for the 4th of July celebrations and, uh, and enjoying it with us. So uh, they really are, you know, fantastic allies. Yeah, Glenn, I told you a bunch of times I want to come out there and visit. I've never been to England, so it'll be fun. We'll go out there. Maybe yeah, when the Jets play there. in England again, we'll go to the game and then maybe we'll do a live podcast from the Naughton Estate. That'd be awesome, man. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Next question comes in from Real Recognized Fake. He asks, coach-related questions. Who's the most trusted coach on the offensive side of the ball besides Hackett? And what kind of impact can he have? Also, does Robert Sala contribute any knowledge or have any influence whatsoever on the offensive side of the ball? How common is that for a head coach? So we'll start with who's the most trusted coach on the offensive side of the ball. If I were to guess, I'd say Keith Carter, even though he's new, because he deals with the offensive line and the running game. And so that's going to be very, very important with this team. I think that Hackett himself will work a lot with Aaron Rodgers and with Zach Wilson. And so if you're going beyond him, you'd be looking at Keith Carter. And he has a good reputation in some circles. Now, if you talk to people that root for the Titans, they'll give you mixed reviews. I asked David Beauclair, who covers the Tennessee Titans for Sports Illustrated, about Keith Carter. And he basically said, and this is a common story, Keith Carter is as good as the talent he has. Which doesn't sound like a great answer, but what he was saying is, 
when the offensive line was healthy and Derrick Henry was healthy, the Titans' run game was great. The offensive line looked great. When he had injuries and Derrick Henry was banged up, didn't look as great, and everybody wanted Keith Carter's head. So Keith Carter just might be one of those coaches who is as good as the talent he has and no better. So like a middle-of-the-road coach. Because as we know, there are some coaches that obviously transcend the talent they have. Look at what we just talked about with Kyle Shanahan. The fact that he took somebody like Brock Purdy, who is not ultra-talented, and was able to get out of him what he got out of him. And we'll see what Brock Purdy continues to do as his career moves forward. Bill Belichick, another example. Everybody would agree that he has gotten way more out of a lot of different players than any other coach would have in his shoes. So I think that Keith Carter is probably the most trusted guy on that offense, even though it remains to be seen just how good he is. He just has such an important role. As far as Robert Sala contributing knowledge and having influence whatsoever on the offensive side of the ball, here's what I will say. Kyle Shanahan has talked at length about how he and Robert Sala used to prepare each other. They would have chess matches where they would go back and forth about, okay, if I do this on defense, you would do this on offense. And if I do this on offense, you would do this on defense. And so I think to that level, he probably has a lot of input in terms of strategizing. I'm sure he did this with Michael LaFleur, and I'm sure he'll do it with Nathaniel Hackett, where they'll run through a bunch of different chess match type things. He obviously has the final say on everything everything on the roster, even the offense. I do think that for the most part, he lets the offensive staff do what they do, even though, like I said, I'm sure he runs through these chess match possibilities with whoever the offensive coordinator and play caller would be, in this case, Nathaniel Hackett. How common is this? I would say that it's reasonably common in today's NFL. I would imagine that Sean McVay doesn't have a ton to do with the defense on the Rams. I would imagine that Kyle Shanahan, beyond what I just said, doesn't have a ton to do with the defense on the 49ers. He sort of lets his guys do what they do. He'll jump in when he needs to, but I think that's really where it's at with a lot of these coaches. I know we all talk about you want a guy who's the head coach of the entire team, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to jump in and be very specific with every single unit. It means being smart and understanding who you should hire for these spots and knowing when to jump in and try to fix something when it's broken. For example, bringing in a new offensive line coach and run game coordinator like Keith Carter, bringing in a new offensive coordinator like Nathaniel Hackett, things like that. That's part of the job. And I think that's certainly part of understanding how the offense needs to run. You know, for, for the most trusted guy, uh, I'm, I'm going to look at uh, what, what happened when Robert Sala had COVID and the guy he trusted to run the team while he was gone was Ron Middleton. Well, I'll say um, this. You know, I don't know if Ron Middleton is the most trusted. He might be. But he's definitely the most liked. How do you not love Ron that, Middleton? That, that's what I was just going to say. You know, we saw how much Salah trusted him, and he just became an absolute, you know, a fan favorite overnight, you know. And, and he, uh, I mean, I remember his pressers. What did he say? We're, we're not going to carry a punter on game day. Like, this is my one <laughs> shot to coach a game. Um, and I, I love that line from him. So, yeah, Middleton, I think, is the most trusted guy and probably the most liked by the fan base. Um, and as far as Salah's involvement with the with the offense, I think that was a, a criticism we heard Rex Ryan take all the time, that he wasn't involved enough. But I think that was just people kind of looking for – I mean, d- don't get me wrong. Rex had some moments where, you know, he needed to be better and get involved. But, but I think you're right. I think on an increasing basis, coaches – 
head coaches are sticking to their side, the, the side of the ball where they specialize and uh, and letting the offensive guys run the show, which kind of which is something that kind of hurt the Jets, you know, uh, by by bringing in such a young coordinator with LaFleur and and not having another voice in the room. You know, of course, we know the Greg Knapp situation and, and, and all that. But, uh, yeah, I, I think Salah's like a lot of coaches and just he, he primarily focuses on what, you know, on his side of the ball on defense. But, of course, you know, he's got the headset on and he can get involved and he doesn't have to be the coordinator to say, hey, why aren't we running the ball today? Why aren't we doing this today? Why aren't we trying to expose this? So he can interject in moments when he he has to, but I would imagine that running the offense is going to be left, you know, the overwhelming majority of that with the uh, with the coordinator. How great was Ron Middleton's speech in the locker room before the Senior Bowl? He said, "If he moves, hit him, and in doubt, hit him." All right, let's pray. <laughs> it was great. Yeah, yeah, that was there were so many fan favorite moments there. He is the greatest. I hope that if for any reason Robert Sala can't coach a game, they don't give it oh, to Hackett. Absolutely. They let Ron Middleton do it. Also, I wouldn't be against just having Ron Middleton run all the pressers. More Ron Middleton is what I want. Yes, give me more Ron thing. Middleton. We all need more Ron Middleton. Real Recognized Fake also asks, by the way, what is your prediction for projected snap counts at wide receiver this season if everybody stays healthy? Also, predictions for the best available players from around the league that might get cut before the season starts. As far as who might get cut before the season starts, Dalvin Cook would have been a guy I'd have had at the top of my list of players that could get cut, but he already got cut. So we'll have to wait and see. I don't think Kevin Byard's going to get cut, but I wouldn't be shocked if he ends up getting traded because there's been issues there in Tennessee and he's due to make about $13 million. So I would keep my eye on him. As far as snap counts, I'm not going to give the exact snap counts, obviously, but if I were to guess, I would say Garrett Wilson gets the most snaps, followed by Alan Lazard, followed by Corey Davis, followed by Nicole Hardman, followed by Randall Cobb. That would be my guess, and as far as any other wide receivers, we'll see if anybody else steps up. Yeah, I think it's, you know, projecting snap counts is, is difficult, but, you know, kind of recalling what I said earlier, I, I, the, the most interesting one to me is the Davis-Lazard uh, combo, who sees the field more. Now, Lazard, if you look at him historically, he does have more experience in the slot, so there will be opportunities to get those guys all on the field together at the same time. But I, I, I think it's going to be a, a, a tough decision if – if Davis, as I said, this is my opinion, if it turns out to be right that Davis is outplaying Lazard, but that's who Rodgers prefers, you know, which, which way do the coaches go? It, I, I think Lazard will end up playing more snaps because Rodgers does prefer him, and they probably will be the top three guys. Uh, Randall Cobb's an interesting one to me because he really does feel like that was a favorite of Rodgers. Like, that wasn't a guy who would have been on the radar otherwise. So how much does he get on the field as somebody you brought in to, to sort of appease Aaron Rodgers? Does he see the field more than he would otherwise? It's going to be interesting to see. Next question comes in from Peter J. Dillard. He says, Scott, I thought I knew a lot about wrestling because I go back to the days of Harley Race, Dusty Rhodes, and Bob Backlund with my favorite tag team being the Road Warriors, but I listened to you talk about wrestling and I feel like you may know more than I do. <laughs> <laughs> Who are your favorite wrestlers, including tag teams? I don't know if I know more than you, Peter, but I definitely know more about wrestling than I should. That much I can tell you. As far as my favorite tag teams like you, I love the Road Warriors. I was a huge fan of Demolition, which is funny because Demolition started out basically as Vince McMahon trying to come up with an answer to the Road Warriors because at the time they were under contract in the NWA, which would later become WCW. Always loved the Steiner Brothers. I loved Chris and Gino, the dynamic duo 
Duo, Chris Adams and Gino Hernandez down in World Class. There's so many great tag teams over the years, Public Enemy and ECW, because of how fun they were when they were there. I love the Eliminators in ECW. I'd have to go back and think the PYT Express, Coco Beware, Norvell Austin, love them down in the territory days. The Fabs, Steve Kern and Stan Lane. The Midnight Express, there's so many great tag teams. The Rock and Roll Express, who, by the way, I should say Travis Milton, who, of course, co-hosts There's Always Next Year with Brian Bassett and Josh Conrad here on Play Like a Jet. Travis Milton is a drinking buddy of Ricky Morton of the Rock and Roll Express, so I always joke that one day he's going to have to bring Ricky Morton on the podcast or at least introduce me if I head down to one of Travis's restaurants. I like the Fantastics a lot, too. There's just so many great tag teams that I liked. As far as individual wrestlers, man, Brian Pillman is probably my all-time favorite. I love the loose cannon gimmick. Who didn't love Ric Flair? There were a lot of Japanese wrestlers I really like. Mitsuharu Misawa, I loved Toshiaki Kawada. Right now, Kazuchika Okada is great. Tanahashi. How do you not love somebody like Shinsuke Nakamura? My all-time favorite Japanese wrestler, Kenta Kobashi. And one day, maybe on the show, I'll tell the story of how I got the opportunity to see Kenta Kobashi live. He was only in the United States, I think, for two or three matches. And I got to be at one of them, so that was awesome. I was a huge fan of ECW, so there are so many wrestlers. It was really cool to have Dominic D'Angelo on here, who co-hosts Rob Van Dam's podcast with him, because obviously as a huge ECW fan, I really liked Rob Van Dam. I was a big Shane Douglas fan, Tommy Dreamer, Taz, all those guys in ECW. Raven was a big one that I really, really liked. Who didn't love New Jack? He was always fun, unpredictable, but fun. Of course, you look at the territory days, man, there's so many guys that I love. My favorite territory of all time was the Dallas territory, world-class championship wrestling, which then turned into the Dallas version of the USWA. USWA was the Memphis territory, but then they were going back and forth between Memphis and Dallas for a period of time, and then the Global Wrestling Federation took over. Absolutely loved Jerry the King Lawler, huge fan of his. The stuff he did in Memphis was absolutely incredible. Austin Idol, another guy from that territory. Who didn't love Terry Funk back then? Rowdy Roddy Piper, who was great in the Portland Territory. And then, of course, in WWE. There's so many names that I could give you from those territory days. I love the Von Erics, of course. I mentioned Chris Adams. Huge fan of the Iceman King Parsons, one of my all-time favorites. Somebody who's a big wrestling fan circulated a video. I guess he worked at one of those used car lots somewhere. And Iceman came in to buy a car And his manager knew he was a huge fan But he wasn't there that day So we got Iceman to record a video Saying, hey, sorry you missed me But I'm here And that would have blown my mind if that had happened to me I would have been like, why didn't you call me? I would have raced into work to meet the Iceman King Parsons I always loved Bruiser Brody when he was still around. There's just so many guys. And then you go to managers. Who didn't love Bobby the Brain Heenan? Gary Hart, whose autobiography, by the way, to this day, I think might be the best book ever written about pro wrestling. Unfortunately, it's out of print. I have a copy because a friend of mine has a rare copy and he was able to make a PDF of it for me. So if anybody wants it, by the way, I can probably find a way to make that available, the PDF of it, because you can't buy it unless you want to spend like $500 now because it's out of print. But 
So many great ones. I could sit here all day talking about it. I won't, though, because this is a football podcast. Glenn, I know that you used to like wrestling. You haven't really been into it that much. Now you're starting to get into it a little bit with the kids. Who are some of your favorites from when you were watching? Yeah, uh, you know, all, all my names would be guys from when, when we were younger because that's when I did watch it. But uh, I think I've mentioned before, I love the British Bulldogs just because, mm. you know, uh, they, they were probably the most complete sort of – they were so athletic. Like, I think, you know, that was very early when I started watching. The first time I saw Davy Boy Smith, like, press a guy and then Dynamite Kid go off the top ropes and then onto the dude's back to jump onto the guy who was on the mat, like, that was it. I was all in. I was like, these guys are unbelievable. Um, those Dynamite Kid snap suplexes were ridiculous. Um, but love them. Love the rivalry they had with the Hart Foundation. Um, you know, Jim the Anvil and uh, and Bret Hart, they were they were a lot of fun to watch. Um, the Killer Bees were were fun. I didn't like the mask gimmick. I don't know why that kind of bothered me. Um, I think the gimmicks bothered me when it like it's like did I have to do it every single match? Like, can they take a match off from that? But um, th- those are those are some of the tag teams I remember liking. Axe and Smash. You know, you mentioned Demolition. I did enjoy them. And as far as the individual guys, you know, of course everybody loved Hogan. Um, Macho Man, you, you hated him, but you had to appreciate what he brought as a wrestler. Um, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, I was a big Ricky the Dragon Steamboat guy. Um, th- those are some of the names that pop to mind now. It's it's been so long since I watched, but um, it really, you know, as I said, I don't I don't watch now, but I, I had a, like a buddy years ago, he watched religiously, and every now and then I kind of watch out of the out of my peripheral, and I'd see these guys doing things routinely that back when I was a kid, it would have been the most amazing thing in the world, and it just shows how far these guys have come athletically, like, you know, things that used to absolutely blow your mind 25, 30 years ago is now like the routine, it's not even that you don't bat an eye, Um, even I saw that, you know, I, I think anyone with the internet saw that that I don't even know which match it was a few months ago but when Logan Paul like launched himself from mm-hmm. the middle of the ring from the middle of the ro- that was amazing like like I said I don't watch wrestling but that thing popped up on my feed I must have watched it 15 times it was unreal Glenn Naughton who is the editor over at jetnation.com for those that want to check out your work over at Jet Nation and listen to you on Jet Nation radio how can they check out what you're doing and also how can they follow you on social media Yeah, check us out, JetNation.com, most active independent Jets message board on the web. Always tons going on over there. Uh, You can follow me on Twitter at JNRadio underscore Glenn. Uh, My co-host, Dylan Terriman, at DTerriman. He does the Thursday night shows. He's uh, he's covering them right now with Chris Schubert of the Draft Network. Also, check out some of Chris's work. He does a great job. And, yeah, like I said, busiest message board on the web, busiest Jets message board on the web. Uh, plenty of activity, plenty of content. Be sure to check us out there. Make sure you check out everything Glenn's doing over at JetNation.com and JetNation Radio. Check out everything we've got going on over at PlayLikeAJet.com and the Play Like a Jet YouTube channel. Some awesome All-22 breakdowns on our channel, so go watch those breakdowns, including one of Dalvin Cook. And judge for yourself whether or not you think Dalvin Cook has lost a bit of a step. It's YouTube.com slash play like a jet. Visit our store, tpublic.com. That's T-E-E-Public.com. We've got the John Franklin Myers, Quinn and Williams, Bless You, Thank You shirt, the Play Like a Jet logo shirt, caps, mugs, hoodies. It's all there, tpublic.com. That's T-E-E-Public.com. And be sure to give us a five-star review for the podcast on iTunes if you haven't done that already. Easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. Doesn't take you much time. Doesn't cost you any money, but it goes a long way to help us out. So if you can go ahead and do that for us, we'd be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts and content, you know where to go. That's Play Like a Jet Digital and PlayLikeAJet.com.